We now have a reading. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ, in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. I want to ask you a question before we start. It's always difficult when somebody else has prepared a sermon series because when you're doing that, the way the Lord speaks to you is he gives you stuff that sort of follows through. And then somebody else has to come in and try and join together what you did last week with what you're going to do next week. And that is always difficult. Now, Tim helped me out. He said that... uh, he, he sent me a little email and it said that it was this passage with a focus on prayer. I thought that was great, that was really good. And uh, because of what's been going on in my life this week, uh, last Sunday I was in Germany. On Monday I came back from Germany on a coach. We arrived back in Hawley at about 8 o'clock in the evening, having got on the coach at 7 in the morning. And I was quite tired, Sarah and I went to bed by about half past 9, 10 o'clock. Woke up to Tuesday morning to hear what had happened on Monday night and to find that one of the guys I served in the Navy with's daughter was um, injured in the blast and and was unable. She was meant to be doing her Duke of Edinburgh's walk up Ben Nevis this weekend and she couldn't do it. Uh, But she'd come out of hospital. But he'd shared on Facebook about the drive to the, the venue to pick his daughter up and him and his wife in the car and getting mobile phone messages 
from somebody who was in the group of kids that they dropped off at the venue. And uh, so all of that was happening. And then on uh, Tuesday, uh, my son lent his car to my wife and she went to pick our granddaughter up and driving along and suddenly the gear stick no longer was connected to the gearbox. Uh, something called a linkage. had It was made of nylon and it had snapped. And when that happens, you have third gear and fourth gear. And, uh, and a lot of effort is required on clutch control to drive a car in that condition. And then on Wednesday, I got a little email from, uh, from Tim saying, could you help us out? And I said, yeah, that's absolutely fine. On Thursday, my father-in-law was taken into St. Catherine's Hospice. And I've been there this afternoon. I'm going back there after this service. He's not expected to last till Tuesday. Um, and it's been quite sudden. He's had cancer for four years. And uh, five weeks ago, they said, you've got about three months now. And all of a sudden, things have changed from Wednesday evening to today, quite drastically. And I'm trying to pick up the threads of Tim's last week's sermon and what he's going to do next week. And I looked at this passage and it starts off with those words that say, because of all this, because of all this that he's already mentioned, and you think, right, I know what's coming next, because all the way through Ephesians 1 and 2, Paul, he tries to write a letter, but he keeps getting caught up in prayer, doesn't he? And, and that's happening all the way through. And then he gets to this bit, and you think, I oh, know, this is going to be a prayer, and it isn't. But I've got to speak to you in the context of prayer, and focusing on prayer. And it's, it's not fair, because he doesn't pray in these 13 verses. He starts his prayer in verse 14. So... I'm going to stay true to Tim's instructions. This is a preface to a prayer. (laughs) So we've ticked that box and now we can move on to what this passage is about. Because this passage is about one thing and one thing only. I want you to just have a quick peep at the person next to you. Don't let them know you're doing it. Just have a quick peep. And now you can look at them square in the eye and say, this is about you. Because that's what Paul is writing about. He's writing about the church. And he starts off by telling us that he's been given two gifts of grace. And he uses the same phrase twice over. And he uses the phrase, the administration of grace. God has done this. And the two gifts that he's been given, one is a revelation... And the other is a commission, a job, a ministry. He's got these two gifts. And he starts off with the mystery. And when you first glance at this passage, it seems really difficult, doesn't it? It seems, some of that is because you translate Greek into English and it does all go wrong. But um, it seems really difficult. It does seem that he says a lot here. A lot of words are used But as you break them down, you think he's not saying as much as I thought he was. Because he's talking about this mystery. And for you and me, we have a problem straight away, don't we? Because a mystery for me is something dark, something sinister, something hidden. 
I can remember as a child reading the mystery series by Enid Blyton, and then you graduate on to Agatha Christie and the mystery of this and the mystery of that. And mystery has got a different meaning in Greek, because in Greek it means truth that is hidden. Whereas for us, we use the word mystery not always about truth, but about things that are sinister and scary, not perhaps things you want to focus on. So straight away, Paul talks about, in verse 4, this mystery of Christ. And you can understand, can't you, why around the early church, there were people who started to found their own mini-religions, mystery religions, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, new age of their day, it'd probably be old age now, but you're not allowed to mention old age, it's third age or fourth age now, isn't it? No such thing as old people anymore. I'm a bit bit upset by that, because it means that they can keep moving my pension, which was going to be my old age pension, and now going to be my fourth age, but by then it'd be sixth age pension, I probably won't get it at all. But, but this mystery of Christ, and this mystery of Christ is the mystery of Christ because he is the source of the mystery and he's also the substance. He's what the mystery is. And that's worth thinking about. It's worth pondering. You see, the mystery of Christ, Paul has already talked about, hasn't he? In chapter 2 and chapter 1. He's talked about the fact that Jew and Gentile are no longer separated in the purposes of God. We have become thoroughly united in Jesus. Now, this mystery has been revealed, and it causes us problems, doesn't it? Because this isn't a mystery to be revealed. We've always known this. The promise to Abraham was that he would be a blessing to the nations, that his offspring would be all of the nations. So why is this a mystery that's been revealed? Why is there a truth here that has been shown for the first time? Because that's what revealed means. It doesn't say it's been added to. It means it's, it's been shown for the first time. What's been shown in Christ for the first time? And what's been shown is that Israel, as the people of God has been changed to the one thing that Paul is writing about, to the you and me, to the church. And whether you are a Jew and whether you are a Gentile, to belong to the people of of God, you've got to be a part of this new thing. This new thing that was prophesied because it was always going to include all nations, but not the way they thought, not by all nations joining their club, but by them and all nations joining Jesus' club. That was the way it was going to be. And this is what's been revealed. And when you read about what happens through Acts, it's revealed over and over again because the disciples and you and me and everybody else finds it really difficult to grasp. I suspect that given the number of us in the room, there's already one or two of you who are thinking, you can't can't swap Israel for this. Israel are the people of God. 
you've, you've done something wrong. Because that's the way it is. And it's the way it always was. Why does Paul, in this letter to the Ephesians, keep on and on about Jew and Gentile becoming one? About the dividing wall of hostility being broken down? Why is this important? Because the church is really vital to the purpose of God on the face of the earth. There is not another plan. You know, if we don't do it, nobody does it. That it, we, we are it, which I find quite amusing, because I don't know what you're like, but I know what I'm like. And I wouldn't have picked me for the eighteen. But it was this mystery was hidden to other generations, but it's now been revealed. It couldn't be revealed before Jesus. Because before Jesus, there was nothing to unite Jew and Gentile. There was no way for the two to be reconciled until all sin was dealt with at the cross by Jesus. All division broken down. Hidden to the other generations, verse 5. Hidden for the ages, verse 9. But it's all nations and it's the church. He talks about the ministry that has been entrusted to him by grace. He talks about the mystery that's been revealed to him by grace. It's not a secret, it's an open secret. And the ministry that's been revealed, in verse 8 we're told that it's to the Gentiles. And Paul is known, isn't he? As the apostle to the Gentiles. But in verse 9, it's to all people. And in verse 10, it's to the cosmic powers. And you see, that ministry that Paul had is the same one that's been entrusted to the rest of us too. We are called to reach Gentiles with the good news. We're called to reach all people with the good news. We're called to be a prophetic people that pronounce to the cosmic powers that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The centrality of the church is absolutely vital to the purposes of God. And there is at present, sadly, a movement in modern Christianity that says you can be a follower of Jesus in isolation. There are books that you can go to, any Christian bookshop, and you can buy about people who've said, oh, well, you know, I walked away from the church, I couldn't cope with organised this, and I couldn't cope with organised that. And so I went and I did my own thing for a little while, and, and now I'm, you know, I'm back in the church, and I want to say, what you did for a little while was walk away. What you did was unplug. Jesus says, I am the vine. I am the vine. If you remain in me, you stay alive. If you leave me, you don't. Today has been a pretty pants day for me. Not my favourite day. Part of the way through this morning's service, Sarah's mum arrived from the hospice to say, Colin had taken a downturn since yesterday and he didn't look good yesterday. And I said to Lisa Rainier, who you know, at the end of the service, I said, I don't know how people do this. I don't know how they do this if they're not in a church. Being with those people this morning was the best place to be. 
Absolutely the best place to be. Bill Hybels says there's nothing like the local church when the local church is working right. And that's what Paul is getting at. He's saying we are fundamental to the purposes of God. There's not anything else like us, remotely like us. We are the only place on earth where Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free, the only place where everybody who's got a pulse, and some who haven't anymore, are brought together under Jesus Christ. We are the only place where this mystery of Christ is an open secret that everybody knows from the littlest to the oldest. We are the church of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. We sing a song in our church. I don't know if you know it. Um, It's called The Good, Good Father. I absolutely love it. It says, you are a good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Our identity is in Christ. We are the church of Jesus Christ. The church is central to history. The church is central to the gospel. You cannot be a follower of Jesus on your own. You can start that way. In fact, there isn't any other way to start. But he doesn't call you into relationship just with himself. He calls you into relationship with one another. At Traff Road, we've been thinking about three relationships that define a Christian. The up relationship with our Father, the in relationship with other believers, and the outward relationship out into the world in mission and ministry. And we've been thinking about that a bit. And that's exactly what Paul is getting at here, isn't it? He says that this administration of grace has been given to me So that I can. So that I can. It's central to Christian living. I I think that as as a follower of Jesus, there are three planks that hold me together. The first plank is my personal walk with Jesus. I have to talk with him, I have to listen to him, And then I have to be willing to do what he tells me. And that's not always easy. But that's that's between him and me. And then, if I'm really serious about following him, as an ex-submariner, I know that when you anchor a boat, you always take three fixings. Because if you take two, you can drift along like this, and you still think you're in the same place. But you take a third... Three compass bearings, always. You do the same when you're out walking. Because that way you know exactly where you are. Two won't do it. And these three planks are like those in my life. The second plank is other people. Being in a small group, whether it's an official house group, an official small group, or whether it's a group of people that you meet now and again, they might even be a mix of people from other churches, but other Christians to hear you. And to say, Brian, for goodness sake, that's not what Jesus said. Sort yourself out. We need that. We need to be in accountable relationships. Because if we were totally able to not deceive ourselves, none of us would ever fall, would we? The first person I have to trick if I want to sin is me. 
I don't know if any of you, you probably never sin, but I do from time to time. And the first person I have to con that it's all right is me. And that's when I need somebody else to say, no, it's not. That's, that's not the way it is. And the third plank is this. It's the congregation. This is us, the church. We are it. Do you feel like it? <laughs> I don't most of the time. But that's what Paul is getting at here. He says he's been given a gift of revelation. He's been shown what it means to be part of the church. He's, been, he's understood that all other bets are off. That this is the place where God is going to work for the transformation of the world. And then he says that he's been given the ministry to do this. To become one who can speak to the Gentiles, to all men, and to the cosmic powers. And that's us. That's us. Next week, Tim will iron out all of my wrinkles and tell you what this passage is really all about. But until then, you can go on thinking that it's about the church. And I think Tim might agree. But he'll tell you why it's also about prayer, and that will be a good thing. I want us to pray together now, because we... We are the A plan, but, but it's a bit silly if I, not knowing most of you, stand here and, and try and pray. So I thought probably what we could do, are you al- I, don't, I don't want to get into any trouble, are you allowed to, m- let's not move the chairs around, let's just sort of group ourselves in threes or fours and pray for one another. Can we do that? Do you do that in your church? You do tonight. <laughs> That's the fun of being a visiting preacher. I don't know what you don't do, so I think you do it. So we'll, we'll go on. We're just going to get into little groups of three or four. I'll give you a couple of minutes in case one or two of you need to move. I say a couple of minutes, I mean about 45 seconds. Whilst one or two of you move, if you're sat completely on your own, you might need to get a bit closer to somebody else. Wives don't count, husbands don't count, boyfriends don't count. You've got to be with more than just one other person. Okay? And then we're going to pray together. I'll give you, I'm going to give you three things to pray for one another. I don't want you to spend all the time talking. So the first, the first thing I want you to speak to each other about is what do you find most encouraging about being a part of a church? Okay, so I'm going to give you a couple of seconds to talk about that in your little groups. Okay, let's uh, draw back together. And let us now pray. Father God, as we've been talking, you have been hearing. And we want to thank you for those things that we find most encouraging about being part of your church. We want to thank you for calling us into a church not calling us on our own, but calling us to be a people. Father, thank you that that's what you're shaping us into. We pray for those that we've mentioned that are not in the room and ask for your blessing upon them. Amen. Now this one has a danger because 
our tendency, we, we are far more powerfully motivated negatively than we are positively. So you're only allowed one thing. One thing that you find most challenging about being a part of a church. Off you go. If it goes completely quiet, I know you're not being truthful. And we draw back together again. Father, you again have heard us. And we want to say sorry, Lord. We want to say sorry because there are times when we forget just how precious the church is in in your sight. And we allow some of these frustrations to get much bigger than they really are. Sometimes, Father, we even allow them to move us to emotions that are not helpful to us or to anybody else. And, Father, we pray too for those frustrations that come because we want to see it perfect. And yet... The church is made up of us, and we're so much less than perfect. Father, help us to be more gracious towards other people's imperfections. Help us to be willing to laugh at our own, and in the laughter, would you heal us? And set us free. Father help us. To bring our frustrations to you. And to listen. Amen.